That's me on the podcast Sharing a song With something to say about it With Thin Lear And Niagara Moon Losing my opinion Well, how you doing, Matt? Or should I say, Daddy? Daddy had uh, his baby's first birthday party recently, I heard. Baby's first birthday. Yeah, we played some tunes. We had some smash cake, which I don't understand the smash cake concept. Where you, Have you heard about this? No. What? what? You, be, you put a cake in front of the baby and they smash it up, you know, like it's just a mess. And they have is this fun. Is a TikTok challenge or something? This is not a TikTok challenge. This is just a thing that is happening and has been happening. But what I don't understand is every meal she has is a smash cake experience. It's not like, oh, this time she's not going to eat with a, with a fork. Like, it's just kind of how she always consumes food. There's going to be mess anyway. Why, why are you yeah. artificially creating extra mess? You know what you really got to do is, is give them all spaghetti with a lot of sauce mm. and a tiny fork that they'll drop and then just... Mm, it's, I have some yeah. baby photos of me eating spaghetti. It's it's pretty gory. That sounds great. Instead of a birthday cake, yeah, I think we'll do that next time. Spaghetti uh, party. Spaghetti cake. But yeah, we bought her uh, a couple of cupcakes, and she just kind of mushed them up, and then we ended up eating them ourselves, <laughs> which was um, a little shameful, but it tasted good, so it was fine. Hey, give you that a little energy boost, get you through the, the rest of the afternoon. A little bit of energy, <laughs> a little bit of energy boost. Yeah, well, you can't I'm tell. On cupcakes. You can't tell that I am full of energy. Well, it's actually, that, that connects to my topic for today, energy. Oh, does it? Energy systems, managing your energy systems. I was booking well, a, oh, sorry, I, you're going to intro the show? We have to introduce the show first, naturally. Okay, yeah. People don't know what they walked into here. This is, of course, uh, losing my opinion. I am extraordinarily exciting, promising indie artist, Niagara Moon, a.k.a. Thomas. I am a uh, detested indie musician, Thin Lear, a.k.a. Matt, and energy systems. Yeah, that's where I want to start today. Kind of like a weather system, but inside of a person. Uh, so I was, I was starting to book a tour, right? I'm booking some shows for this, uh, this, this late spring, summer season. Um, and I started thinking about stage presence, right? Mm. How do we define this? How do you define stage? When someone says stage presence, like, is it, what, what do you think of? Is it the way an artist carries themselves? Is it facial expressions, demeanor, aura? Yeah, body language is big. Okay. How much they talk or don't talk. Okay. And then I guess the content, what they say naturally. Sure. Pretty intangible. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's when you look at an artist on stage doing their thing for a few seconds and whatever feeling you get. Just viscerally, that that's it. Whatever you capture there, it's it's you know that's hard to quantify. You know what I mean? We're talking about like an aura. Yeah, uh, it sure as shit doesn't connect to the artist's sound because no, we would just say do with that. they sound great. We wouldn't say that artist doesn't have stage presence or I love their stage presence. It's like wholly unconnected to the sound, but definitely part of how you're absorbing the music. Because sometimes somebody can kind of get away with. Maybe not sounding as good if they have, you know, really charismatic stage presence. It's kind of a horseshit thing, though, to be honest. Like, I think of the quote-unquote stage presence of some of my favorite songwriters, and it's basically just them walking on stage, <laughs> playing brilliant songs in front of a mic with, like, 
very little discernible presence. Like you think about like, you know, Leonard Cohen's sixties performances, like it's just him in front of the mic with his eyes closed. That suits him fine. I mean, I think he has an aura, but it's coming through great songwriting as opposed to like the way he's moving his body. Yeah, and if you're a Leonard Cohen fan or a would-be Leonard Cohen fan, you don't want the visual theatrics. Right? That's not what you're signing sure. up for with that experience. So it's different than if you're uh, Elvis. Sure. It's just a different vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then, there, then there's like Kate Bush or David Bowie or James Brown or something where it's like... Right. The, the, and I'm not even talking about... Fashion like, is important with all of them. Sure, fashion, but also just like like you said, the way they're carrying themselves or whatever the movement is next level and the way they put across the music is very much tied to the movement of their body and like where they're, where they are placed on the stage. Right. Uh, I'm not talking about like specific dance choreography. Cause like, that's just a whole <laughs> different thing that we're not talking about no, artists that do th- that. Those artists music, a lot of the time it runs on groove. Andy mm-hmm. Schaff's music does not necessarily, you know, depend on the groove. <laughs> Andy Schaff doesn't have choreographed Some dances. It's pretty groovy. Uh, live. I've not seen him play. Uh, I'd love to see him dance. He doesn't do that with Fox Warren. They don't do choreographed dances. I haven't seen a Fox Warren show yet. So they might. Uh, but we're going to hone in on a really specific part of stage presence today because you, you kind of just like skirted over this. But I think it's one of the more tangible pieces of the stage presence idea. And it's the banter. Uh. Stage banter. This is going to be one of those, they're not even talking about music episodes today. They're not even talking about music. (laughs) That's what they sound like when they say that. I have two insane examples I want to show you today. And I want your take on the quality of this banter, what you think is effective about it. Oh, boy. And how it connects to... This isn't Eric Clapton's notorious performance from the late 70s, is it? These are two collages. These are two sound collages. And I want to know how you, th- you feel it connects to what you know about their style of music. Like, is this putting them mm. across? Well, uh, one okay. is like actually an official release of Stage Banter, like released by a major label. <laughs> uh, it's completely insane. I was not really... Wait, so it's Stage Banter in a studio album? Yeah. What? It's only Stage Banter. Spliced together, and it was released by uh, a major label. Yes. Uh-huh. It's, in, it's completely insane. We're going to get to it. There's a whole story behind it. Uh, the other is, I think you're familiar with this because I, I kind of remember us maybe joking about it. Maybe it was me and Nate. But the other is a bootleg release that kind of mirrors that collage. They're both fascinating and bizarre. My argument today is, if done right, through the editing of stage banter, you can actually capture stage presence to a certain degree. It's not the whole thing, mm. but it's like, a, it's like a piece of it. It's a sliver. Uh, we're going to start with the, the, I think, somehow the crazier of the two examples. <laughs> if you can find, it's called uh, Having Fun with Elvis on Stage. Hey. That's the name of the record. <laughs> this is so good. I'm so happy that I found this. It's very strange. It's like, so it came about because Colonel Tom Parker, his insane manager, wanted to release an Elvis record through his own label and not RCA. But in order to do that, like, he couldn't use any music. So his solution was, well, let's just get rid of that problem. <laughs> and then they released this. Pretty resourceful. Yeah, it's kind of ingenious. Uh, just take the music out of an Elvis record and you get what you need. Uh, they, um, ultimately, they ended up taking back the rights to it anyway. 
because they were just like, whatever, <laughs> you're out of your mind. Uh, it's technically called a spoken word album, but it's really not. Like this is not a, <laughs> he's not like reciting poetry. He doesn't read <laughs> no. poems. No, he's not Elvis doing slam poetry. This is there's nothing. I mean, he's speaking, but it's not spoken word. There's a comment on YouTube that I could not stop laughing at, where they called this an, an accidental avant-garde record. <laughs> <laughs> it's his revolution number nine. It really is. It's so funny. Uh, I fully agree. I I kind of really enjoy it. Uh, it's very incoherent. Like they didn't splice it for continuity or by topic. It's just like someone kind of going nuts in the editing room. And really, they're doing the best they can. I, I think it's an attempt to, and I'm being kind when I say this, it's an attempt to capitalize on Elvis's charming stage presence and, and package it in a way where you feel like you're at the concert. Because if, you, if you've ever seen him live, uh, I think it, it sort of takes people by surprise. Like I was watching a performance with my wife the other day, and she hadn't seen much of him. And she was like, oh, he's like really like, he has a great sense of humor, and he doesn't seem to be taking himself yeah. too seriously. He really seems somehow approachable and down to earth was always his vibe. He, yeah, there Even is. with the crazy suits and everything. Exactly. Yeah. In the middle of this insanity, he's just sort of like, you know, kind of like shrugging his shoulders like, yeah, isn't this crazy? And that's, I think, part of what makes it so um, disarming and charming. And yeah, it gives him that uh, uh, intangible quality of good stage presence that we're talking about. Uh, but as I said, you know, stage presence is a, it's an ephemeral thing so merely presenting the banter like apart from footage take it out of its musical context and cut in a way where it's like it doesn't find the magic in that person's persona it just turns into like word salad so i'm going to start at the beginning and let's just listen to the first minute he's actually very funny like there are jokes that he makes that are, that are great it sounds more like a stand-up album than anything else. <laughs> it's like it's like a somewhat incoherent stand-up record with like shrieking in the background. I think you're gonna enjoy it. All right, I want to find a quick photo of Elvis here. Yeah, right now we have the the Jewish Elvis behind you, Neil Diamond. <laughs> so they really just went ahead and made this a full-length album. Oh uh, yeah, like not just a no. you know a single little no. experiment, fans-only release, just. Two Here's full sides. 38-minute LP. <laughs> Two full sides of music. Again, this is not edited by topic. Uh, there's really no context for like what song he's referring to, like where the conversation begins. This isn't like Elvis appearing on The Moth or something? No, no, he's not. There's no narrative to this. All right, having fun with Elvis on stage. So we'll just start out at the top here. Yeah, start. listen to the first minute. You get the feel of it, yeah. Here we go. Mm. Here we go again, man. It's like my horse just left. Mm -hmm. Come on, you can do it. Come on. Mm. That's it. It just tapers off to nothing. Before the evening is over, I will have made a complete, total fool of myself. I hope you get a kick out of watching it. Uh, one of my first records that I made, I mean, I recorded back in 1927, I think it was. More <laughs> <clears throat> like this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, 
Did he know they were doing this? <laughs> I know. There's no way. They probably they didn't tell him, right? <laughs> no, not with these long stretches of silence. What are we doing next, man? You got any idea? And it's not even obvious when it's that. cut or anything either. No. So that's that, all right. So, all right, so go to um, thirty-five forty. That's how the record opens, by the way. That's that's the, that's the strong. Go to uh, 35 minutes and 40 seconds. And this is just like towards the end. Like, you kind of heard how it was there. Now you'll hear how it concludes. Like, it's basically like that for the whole way. Hello up there. Ain't it funny? (laughs) No. (laughs) Start doing the same thing again. I'll be okay. I have been traveling. <laughs> it's so weird that it's just him. Oh. It's, it's, yeah. Oh, that goes 20 years down the drain, boy. There's <laughs> no one to bounce off of. It's just disembodied <laughs> talking. This is what an insane person puts on. <laughs> I wasn't making Thank up you. how incoherent it is. It's been a pleasure last week. <laughs> Just a second. All right, so... I feel like Stockhausen yeah, would y- think of something y- like this. It's, it's like a, yeah, this is you like a John Cage through. experiment. Like, you have to really use your imagination to connect the dots here. And there's those huge, <laughs> huge periods of silence... Uh, it's crazy. It might be the most avant-garde album like ever released by a major label. That 70s really didn't know about podcasts. Like just put Elvis and like a buddy he mm-hmm. likes to talk to, just put them in a room together. You know, cut out whatever you need to cut out, let them, you know, shoot the shit for an hour and a half. Instant classic instead exactly. of this Frankenstein's monster here. It's it's so bizarre, right? It's and it's kind of like unsettling. Like you picked up on that like the disembodied nature of it, right? Where it's just like, you're sort of waiting. It, I, my brain was breaking. I'm, I, I'm trying to follow like a sense of time, like of progression. Okay, like this moment's happening now after he said that. No, it's just blah, 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 like I feel like I have psychosis. <laughs> yeah, and it kind of just doesn't go anywhere. It ends how it starts. All right, so we heard that, right? You got, you got a feel for an we extremely did. weird album of stage banter. That was not successful, though I do enjoy listening to it because it's just nuts. I mean, it's, uh, just, it's Elvis, too. You and it's know. Elvis. Yeah, it is. He is funny. So it's just like, you know, you, you kind of get his vibe through it, but it's not the, you don't get the stage presence, I feel. So we're going to go to a, a bootleg example of somebody who did this with one of our favorites, Mr. Paul Stanley of Kiss. Oh. So there's this guy, uh, Chris Arnes. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh-huh. Chris, Chris Arnes. On, on SoundCloud, yep. made this, this uh, sound collage uh, very similar to the last album we were just discussing. Obviously, this is not an official release. Uh, this one was made to kind of intentionally, I feel, sound disembodied and incoherent. But he does it in such a way where it's just amazing. Like, it's, it's funny. It's uh, engaging. And uh, yeah, it's the star child himself. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you here. From the moment I discovered this years ago, I listened to this maybe like four times a year. 
uh, just throw it on (laughs) at various points because it's like a, it's like an antidepressant listening to this. It's just incredible. Uh, I feel that this accurately captures the vibe of his stage presence. And there's a lot of creative license in the editing. Like he strips away the music. It's just like, he kind of leaves the reverb on the voice. Like he sounds like he's in like an abandoned stairwell by himself. And uh, we, we talked about kiss forever ago on the podcast, but what what does Paul Stanley play again? I don't remember shit about them. He plays he the guitarist. He plays the guitar. Yeah, I believe he's a uh, rhythm guitar, and he sings. I know that that, that uh, all of them really sing, but I, I think he's kind of the main. He's kind of the main singer. Hmm. I know you know Gene sort of is, is maybe less. Gene was uh, busy sticking out that tongue. Yeah, it's hard to sing with your your tongue out of your mouth like that. Um, so I think I, I would say that he is more the front man of, of if we're comparing the two of them and what I know about the band. Hmm. Uh, but there's no music here. You don't actually hear any of the, the playing. Now, and this is a bootleg release as in just some really funny SoundCloud person. Yeah. I mean, it's not an official. Amusement. Yeah. It's so not an official thing. Does it span multiple years kind of deal? It's, it's a, a collage of multiple concerts. All right. Yeah. So we're going to listen to like the first couple of minutes I, I'm telling you, this is, I, I this love is this. I, I love it deeply because it's, it's, it's a work of art. Like it's, it captures the stage presence. It's completely unhinged. It's cartoonish. Uh, and ultimately it's like infectious and catchy because it's, uh, it's not their music. I actually enjoy listening to this, I think more than hmm. listening to their music. And it, it does kind of pump me up and make me smile. I think that that's probably Kiss's ultimate goal with their music anyway, beyond obviously first and foremost making money. If it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. Sure. So I think the stage presence alone kind of does what they're seeking to do with the music. Uh, but anyway, let's, let's, let's dig into this. I'm going to see how you feel. Make sure it's not too loud, by the way, when you start it, because he, he is loud. All right. Christopher Armas, soul college buddy of yours. How'd you find out about this? I honestly don't remember, but I wish I did remember who told me because they're a friend of mine. Uh, 45 minutes of Paul Stanley stage banter. There it is in the title. And you should listen. You know, if if you're listening to this, you should listen to all 45 minutes. (laughs) Like get in the zone with it. Put it on and go to sleep. (laughs) Yeah. You know, getting ready to go out, you know. Feel good. All right, then, listen. You know, we may be under clear blue skies, but you know, it's getting a little cool out tonight, but that ain't gonna stop us, because if we try hard enough, we're gonna get this place. I said we're gonna get this place. How did it help? How did it help? All right, listen. I want to know if we got any people here tonight that like to get high. We got any people tonight that are high? <laughs> All right then, listen. Listen. You know, every once in a while we like to get a little wasted. We like to take a taste. Wasted. Alcohol. You know what I'm talking about? I tell you, when we won't get going, we ain't gonna be drinking no Southern Comfort. No, no. Oh. No, we ain't gonna be drinking <laughs> That's no... That's weird. Tequila! 
the drums. I tell you, when we won't get going, you know there's only one drink that gets us moving. <laughs> I can't hear you. I'm getting excited. I mean, this right. is. I can't hear you. Louder, Colt. All right, Toronto. <laughs> This is what you put on at the baby's birthday party, right? That's what we listen to. Long ago, we was here, and I tell you, every time we come here, damn it, it just gets better and better. Damn it, he's like Doctor Roxo. This is showbiz in a nutshell. There it is. This is the essence. I just know. (laughs) I know if we get this place any hotter tonight. Just absolutely screaming. I Doing his goddamn job. If we got this place in a tonight. I like how the way he mixed it, it's just like so We're dead. Yeah. This is artful. Alright, so this goes it's 45 on minutes for to this. 45 minutes. And it's just every time he comes back around with the listen thing. It's, it starts the same way every time. He's always like, listen! Uh, and it's just, it works, it's, it works. It's just magical. I mean, you could, if you had that on in the background, you really start to get into that frame of mind. You know, like you're at this concert. This guy is screaming at you about rock music. Uh, I just, I, I do start to feel like I'm there. I feel like that does a good job of making yeah. you get the vibe of the stage presence. Like I, I can picture that person. I get his essence. Yeah, and you know, you feel taken care of as an audience member. You know exactly <laughs> the kind of experience they're trying to curate, mm-hmm. putting you right in that moment. It does feel carefully curated, yeah. and and it's like know, a mindfulness practice. It, it's exa- that's exactly what it is. It's exactly how I use it, actually, honestly. Uh, and you don't even need the music to accomplish the goal. In fact, I think as we saw when we did the Kiss episode, I think the music unravels that feeling for us. I would much mm. rather listen to this because it gives me Kiss without the musicality. And, and that's just, I think that's where, just where I, I want them. Where, just where I want them. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I think it uh, seems like you agree. I think between those two, this is pretty good, yeah. Batshit sound collages. Uh, this one, I think, it, it delivers in a way that the Elvis one does not. Yeah, more artful. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. H- hats off to Chris Armes for uh, for putting that together. That must have taken a long time. <laughs> Doing the good work. Well, little before we uh, transition over to my segment today i did have a question of do you actually listen to elvis's music where do you i we, he's the king of rock and roll we we barely ever talk about him where do you uh i do sit with with the, the big guy i listen to records of his that are like more recent because i don't i don't like the periods recent. he died uh that came out 50 years ago recently posthumous releases oh he's the stuff in the vault yeah all the, i like the vault stuff uh, because it's all a lot of it is stripped down you know there's there's a record it's um a oh, way down in the jungle room is called uh there's also a record that just came out with uh where he recorded it in nashville and it's just like him in the studio it's like i love those newer releases where he's just messing around with the band and you hear how good of a singer he is 
uh, good of a band leader and just playing with obviously like ace session people. Right. And uh, it sounds great. He sounds in his element. And I think that's him at his best. And um, a lot of the like studio recordings, like I don't, I, I it's not that I don't like them. It's just, I, I guess I've heard them so much or whatever. And it, that's where I feel like I'm listening to Elvis, the caricature. Right. But I think on the newer Elvis stuff, the I feel like I'm listening to, yeah, I'm listening to a musician on, on the newer stuff. I'm listening to a singer. Uh, and his voice is, you know, pretty great. So you go deep on Elvis. Okay. I, uh, I did a, a cursory look into him some, some years prior and not much really stuck with me except uh, my recommendation for everybody else out there is uh, From Elvis in Memphis. That one's gold. His, the band and like the musical styling, it's like right in the, you know, 1969 in the mm-hmm. Nixon rock era there. It's, I love that uh, From Elvis in Memphis album has a lot of bangers. That's the Suspicious Minds era. Other than that, it's like, yeah, maybe uh, like you're saying, if you go to those B-sides that I don't release stuff, that could be a little more interesting. But it just he was in so many goddamn movies, and it's he was just such a uh, a, a commercial product for so many years. It's kind of hard to find the uh, the part of him in in the officially released stuff that that makes him exciting. But, sure. Yeah, I didn't see the movie. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. No, I, I heard it's I heard it's uh, pretty insane. So that's uh, that's quite a poll you've made uh, this week. Having fun with Elvis on stage. <laughs> 45 minutes is Paul Stanley stage banter. Just screaming. Screaming his ass off. <laughs> oh, man. Where's it all going to go from here? Yeah, where? how are you going to follow this up? What have I been listening to this week? Yeah, what have you been listening to this week? Losing my opinion. Well, sir, we have some unfinished business. One could say this episode that we're treading water. I'd go a step further and say we're going to be treading waters. Oh man, no! You should save this shit for Nate. I don't. I don't. No, no, Nate. He's banned. No, no, no. Waters oh, talk with Nate. He's God. a bad influence on you. Oh, no, no, man. no, no, no. I'm not making that same mistake twice. Listen to this guy. What are you going to do? His stage banter? <sighs> I bet it's all right. Uh, Roger Waters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we we talked about the wall a few weeks back. Nate joined us for that episode. He was just the devil on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. I think he corrupted you, your innocence. <laughs> well, he actually got me into Pink Floyd properly. It's like we're I not talking I, about Pink Floyd today, though. We're talking about Roger Waters solo stuff. No, no, we're not talking about that either. We're talking about the weird in between point that is the final, the final cut. cut. Yeah. Hmm. Uh. But yeah, he he got chin to Pink Floyd. Yeah, everybody likes Pink Floyd. That's no, no. But I liked you know the records everybody likes, and then he got me into the early stuff. No one comes to you and says, you know what's great, late period Pink Floyd. <laughs> they get you into like Piper yeah. and you know Saucer Full of Secrets and metal. Sure, not like hey, here's the final cut. And that's that's the way it should be. Right, absolutely. Uh, the Sid Barrett era, and yeah. then you know their classic run. You know, that's mm-hmm. the best shit, but Dark Side of the Moon, which are here, animals, right, right. the wall I throw in there, classic era. You made a little shrug there, but <laughs> it's fine. The final cut. What is the final cut? Okay. Well, when I was a teenager and I was getting into Pink Floyd, you know, I wanted to hear everything from the classic run and, you know, Saucer Full of Secrets. I got a bike. You can ride it if you like. That's all fun and good. <laughs> the final cut didn't click with me back then. It's it's slow. It's very mournful. 
Uh, it's very orchestral. None of those things are bad, by the way. None of those no, adjectives. No, are. it's. But I was looking for some some psychedelic action. Maybe I was yeah. looking for. It's not the sound you think of when you think of Pink Floyd. No, it's not. It's that's why we're we're not talking about Pink Floyd today. I don't care what artist uh, name is on the the cover. It's not a Pink Floyd album. Right. We're talking about the final cut. What the final cut is. It's like after you've had your fun with all those great Pink Floyd releases and you're like, okay, what's left? I'm done listening to good songs. I want to move on from this. All right, all right, Nate. Hush. <laughs> after you're done with all the fun stuff and then, you know, if you're me, you're you're not really into the Gilmore era. Gilmore whatever. Girls. Some, some, <laughs> the Gilmore Girls. Division uh, school bell. <laughs> I don't go for whatever reason. I don't quite go for that stuff either. But the final cut, it's like, hmm, okay, it's supposed to be the wall part two. I like the wall. Hmm. Well, what's going on here? What is this thing? So I guess I'll pose the question again, or for the first time. I don't. I have ADD. I don't remember what I say. Uh, what? Where do you sit on the final cut? Really? Like, what is your knowledge of it? Uh, that I listened to it once when I was in heavily into my Pink Floyd phase. And was like, oh, I guess I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, my fandom doesn't get to this point. It was kind of my feeling about it. I didn't necessarily hate it or anything. Right, right. Just like I don't dis, I don't dislike the wall. I mean, I just think it's, you know, not as great as the other great records. I mean, this one though is, (laughs) uh, I didn't get that, that feeling at all. And, And how old were you? The age when that happens, I don't know. 16, 17, yeah, yeah, yeah. 18, right, like so that. Same, I, I'm coming from the same place you are, essentially. That that was my feelings at the time. Something about this Final Cut album, uh, supposedly it still has you know the core classic lineup minus Richard Wright, but something's off, something's missing. It's I'm not quite getting it. There's a lot of words. I don't know what the words really mean. But what the Final Cut is, is you come back to it later in life, it's it's you acquire taste for it, you know. It's like coffee. It's like beer, or a fine whiskey rather. You you mm. you develop your senses. You develop your taste. You stay away from Nate Saffron, and uh, eventually, most music uh, enjoyers, most uh, let's face it, middle aged rock dudes, come to have a soft spot for the final cut. Uh, I think it's the Pink Floyd album that ages best. Not to say it's it's still weird or stupid to compare it to really the classic, classic Floyd. Again, it's not a Pink Floyd album in my mind, but it it reveals more of itself over time and kind of comes into its own the most, I think. And uh, I, w- I want to see if I want to see if I can get you into it. Okay, because you're you're missing out a little bit. All right. I mean, maybe I just disregarded it too early or something, but you might have. You might have that. I sincerely think that could be the case, or maybe you. If if you don't like it though, you got to give me a good, well-spoken reason why. Because I don't have to do shit. Roger Waters put his heart and soul into this record. Oh, you wow. give him a good reason why you don't like <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I would hate to upset him. It does seem like he gets upset quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there, there was also, and this is this goes into a different direction that you probably didn't even want to go to, but like. Let's go. The whole thing, like the whole like rock stars being upset about being rock stars thing, like that's the wall. That's not this album. But he got stuck there, and like I, mm. I don't. Um, 
that was more attractive, I think, when I was younger for whatever stupid reason. But mm. like now, the like completely pissed off rock star, uh, that, that persona is just like, seems like it was carrying those records. And I, I feel like that's still there on the final cut, or I did when I listened to it. So I don't care for Roger Waters' solo discography. Not for me. The things people will critique it for, I get it. And it's just, it's, it's not worth it for me. Uh, he is an angry old man. <laughs> just that even when he was young, he was an angry old man. He was an man. angry that's young guy. The, yeah, it was fine though when the music was brilliant. <laughs> but he has a way with words. Lyrical architecture, musical architecture. What did he majored in architecture at college before uh, Pink Floyd took off? He realized a vision more than once, but the final cut, that was like, I, I don't need to hear any of the other diatribes from him in later years. He did it really well here. I just need it the one time. Anything more for, with me is overkill. Uh, the final cut is not about the experience of being a rock star or any of that, any bugaboo he has with uh, being so successful, but you know, struggling with fame, alienation. That's, that's, not, that's not where we're at with the final cut. That's, that's wall stuff. The final cut is both uh, lamentation on war, history repeating itself, where he saw uh, Britain heading with uh, like Margaret Thatcher and getting involved in the Falkland Islands, that war that, that kicked off in, in the early 80s. It's, it's a time capsule of like early 80s malaise, uh, just disappointment, where, where, where to, to begin here. Initially, it was going to be called Requiem for a Post-War Dream. It's very much a concept album of like, here we are f almost 40 years later. What was it all for? Like, we had these hopes. It's, it's like the sound of just almost defeat. It's very sad. It's like half of it sounds like a military dirge. But it's very realized and I think has moments that are very compelling. It's, it's telling some pretty unique, evocative stories and that uh, deserves a little more of uh, of a look-see. Okay. Um, and when it's not that, it's very, it goes personal. Like, not just, oh, there's this pink character and his misadventures. It's like, he really, he's bearing his soul. Whether you like Roger Waters' soul or not is another question, and it's a tricky but question. It's there for, but it's there for the taking. It's there for the taking. The man lays it all out. The scope that he does that is is also pretty admirable to me. And uh, I think we. Where would we, you rank this in the pantheon of Pink Floyd records? Just so, just so we can get real with the <laughs> listeners here. It's not a Pink Floyd album. Okay. Again, I don't care what it says, but, but it's if, in there. Uh, to answer your question, <sighs> we got Dark Side. Wish you were here. Fucking animals. The ball metal. It's it's the next one for me after the classic Gilmore's Waters run, and then. After that, you go down to whatever the the goofy Sid Barrett stuff. So you think this is better than Adam Hartmother and uh, Adam Hartmother? Full of secrets. Yeah, sure. Yes, I okay. do. I yeah, like Adam no, Hartmother, but yeah, I like all of them. But it's Adam Hartmother is uh, ramshackle. <laughs> it's it's a test run for for stuff they did way better uh, later on. I think it's mm -hmm. it's got some some decent tunes, but it's it's no Alan's psychedelic breakfast. It's it's yeah, it, but again, it's it's so different. 
it's it's they, those two albums have nothing to do with each other stylistically. This has been a lot of me talking. I think mm. we're going to get into a little bit of listening now. Uh, I want to hear a bit of a song called "The Gunner's Dream." The Gunner's Dream. Okay. The Gunner's Dream. I'll give you a little context for this song. This is the story. This is the thoughts of an airman gunner in World War II, you know, one of the Tommies, uh, as he falls to his death during a, an air raid. He's dreaming of the future he, he wanted, a, a safe world, a world that could be. He's, he's having a dream of that as he, you know, okay. plummets to his demise. It's the post-war dream, the gunner's dream. And uh, let's kick it off. Where Nate goes, I'm out. But in the space between the heavens and the corner of some far field, I had a dream. to the car and the silver in her hair shines in the cold November air you hear the tolling bell and touch the silk in your lapel and as the teardrops rise to meet the comfort of the band just cleans your soul you look so skeptical I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to listen doing over there uh yeah (laughs) it's all right uh yeah it's definitely not like a pink floyd thing i understand what your argument that it's why are you keep saying pink floyd that has nothing to do with this you can't remove it completely from the context of it like if this was like a singer songwriter that released an album in 1983 like you could but it's just you can't but it yeah, I mean, it's uh, there were elements of it where it's almost like he's going for like a Lennon thing with like that slap back and the chord changes. It sounds like um, uh, nobody loves you when you're down and out. That song from uh, Walls and Bridges, but and even the sax, yeah, it sort of sounds like he's going for like a mid '70s Lennon kind of sound, um, which I don't dislike. Obviously, I, I dig that sound, but 
um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. I, I don't, it's sort of similar to how I felt when I, I listened to it before. Maybe I like it a little better. Um, because I think I went into it thinking like, oh, this is going to be more, like we said, Pink Floyd and it's mm. not like, it's like a, uh, something else. Uh, it's, it's fine. It's fine. The arrangement's nice. It's obviously recorded really well. All those Pink Floyd albums, the classic ones, it's like, that's, you put that on with a group of your teenager friends and smoke a joint. Like that's the vibe of almost all those classic Floyd albums. This album, like if you were to make yeah, it- Yeah, you can't put this on at a party. The avatar of this album is like a sad, balding, pudgy, like 40-year-old dude in a, in a wife beater, like in his den, like sadly sipping a whiskey. Like that is the vibe of this album. And that's very different and that's not necessarily everybody's cup of tea, but it's just, it's so realized that, again, it, it has its place. And I, I can't help but, you know, occasionally come back to it and admire mm. it. I can understand that. Yeah, well, Nate, we're here. You'd be mocking it mercilessly just like you did the title track. I have that on record, by the way, <laughs> mocking that great tune, <laughs> you two bozos. Is it, is it true, though? That this record, there are some songs on it that are from the wall. Yes, indeed. Wasn't it like a? It's it's like one of those um, uh, records where it's like the the vestige of the previous record. Yeah, like kind of they, they use bits and pieces. Several of the songs were outtakes from the wall. Initially, this whole project was supposed to be called Spare Bricks, uh, uh, and it was supposed to be like pretty much a soundtrack for the 1982 uh, film adaptation of The Wall. Uh, but then Britain uh, invaded the Falklands, and he's like, no, 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 I have another message for you all, and, and made it this whole big uh, concept album about just the, this relentless cyclical nature of, of war and you know global domination attempts and just the 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 falling apart the crumbling mm. of the post-war dream and seeing you know the welfare state of britain fall apart and all that stuff that i have no context for really but another thing about this album that i'll i'll mention before we get into the next song so you don't you don't have richard wright and that's you know understandably if you're a pink floyd fan coming and expecting a pink floyd album that's pretty disappointing but you do get michael Kamen uh overseeing all these arrangements and he's basically in my mind he was the Richard Wright mm. and Michael Kamen did the score for both Die Hard and the first X-Men movie oh. so need I say more it's a good pedigree just a Hollywood legend uh, of arranging and putting together a big sound mm. for a guy with a big head that's where <laughs> Michael Kamen came in mm. uh, alright let's go on to Paranoid Eyes I think lyrically, this is my favorite song on the album. Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory when you hear it, but it's the the experience of, say, a World War II veteran, you know, shuffling off to the pub in the middle of the week. It's kind of the the untreated, unrecognized, you know, PTSD, fra- fractured uh, nature of their their psyche. That that's what we're getting into here with Paranoid Eyes. You look reticent <laughs> i feel like you are so out of your element right now like you when when do you uh, Jay, i read so many wikipedia no, but articles that's not what i mean when do know. you ever talk about the lyrics first and that's what lets me know that you are struggling to find <laughs> reasons why you like this you might like it 
once in a while, man. Hey, I listen to Bob Dylan too. A lot of that stuff that you called him the British Bob Dylan. Roger I Waters. Said that? Uh, you called Roger Waters the oh, British God. Bob Dylan. Maybe vo- vocally more than anything else, but I once in a while, if the lyrics are good enough, if it's folk, if it's a realized enough vision, oh, I'll pay know. attention to. The, I'll get into it, and also because but the primarily the, like that's the first thing you're you're talking about because I've never heard you start with hey the narrative of this tune. I but I so I'm trying to appeal to you, so I have to stick oh, okay. to your level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this craven level. Yeah, okay. I started to enjoy this album as I appreciated, like, even if the songs are kind of simply written, like, they're so well arranged and produced, and Nick Mason did some cool things with sound effects, and, like, I I appreciated the sonics of it, but then when I took in, like, what the album was really saying and, like, the significance of individual moments, like, you know, what the lyrics meant, it it got bigger. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll we'll see what you think here. You you might go for this little paranoid ice tune. Okay, super excited. You're about to pass out on your desk. <laughs> so you, you don't consider too, momentary too lapse of reason cupcakes? What you don't like momentary lapse of reason? Like you consider those to be um, division bell or whatever? You consider those just David Kilmore things? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's not for me. It's I it's driven by. Gilmore's songwriting and his riffs, right? Like, that's where we're starting from. Mm. Learning to Fly, it's like, it's all right. I'll, I, I don't know. I hear too much of the, the 80s, late 80s production choices in there, too. Sure. Kind of taints it for me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. All right, here we go. Paranoid Eyes. I really like the piano in this one, too. So piano-driven, his stuff, this later period stuff. Button your lip and don't let the shield slip. <laughs> you, you made a face. Take a fresh grip on your bulletproof mask. Little footstep sounds. And if they try to break down your disguise with their questions... You can hide, hide, hide. Behind paranoid eyes. You put on your brave face and slip over the road for a job. Fixing your grin as you casually lean on the bar. Laughing too loud at the rest of the world with the boys in the crowd. You can hide, hide, hide. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's fine. It's uh, 
I mean, he's fully... You're not saying it sucks, so I guess this no. is already a victory. I can hear Saffron barking at us from the corner. Nate would... Yeah, I think he'd lay into this, but I, I, I think it's... Uh, you know, he's just fully in his show tune era. It's theatrical, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is like... But it's a little more nuanced. It's a little, a little calmer. It belongs in a play. Uh, I think it belongs in a play. It's, it's certainly less musical than his other work. I just, when I say musical, I mean like, you know, this is less inventive. The, the melodies aren't as memorable. No, they're, they're not catchy. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the lyrics are, you know, it, it's good. It's, it's a, it's an interesting narrative. I, I like the, I liked from what you've played me. I like the, um, the way he uses strings and horns. Michael Kamen. On the record, it's, it's very uh, uh, mournful. It's very tasteful. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it's not, uh, I don't think I would, would return to it. It's missing that extra oomph. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it just feels like him and him by himself. Like, I don't hear any of the other guys. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what it was. Very long gone. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you get the, I haven't played you them, but you do here and there get Gilmore solos, but... It's just. Uh, <laughs> Do you hear him getting his knuckles slapped like in the middle of playing? <laughs> Essentially, stop it, stop it, cut it out. Stop. Yeah, yeah, you can just see him like giving Waters a middle finger while while ripping a, a blues lick there. Yeah, it's uh, it's so just a realized just vision of defeat that it's I don't know like anything that's just so itself and so uh, unique and complete. And, you know, still has melodic moments I, I like and do get stuck in my head after a while. I, I, I can't help but I appreciate. Mm. Um, it sounds like I've already done the job of at least uh, yeah. getting you have a little more. I, guess, I think I could play you true water soul albums and you'd be like, no, thanks, friend. But I think I think this still meets uh, meets you on a, a middle ground. Yeah. It wasn't a no thanks thing. It's It's just not. Yeah, it's not where my heart lies. I don't, yeah, I don't think I would uh, come back to it, but you know, it's not it's not bad. Um, it's kind of just the essence of Roger Waters without the complete Pink Floyd experience, and that's I can't believe they called it. So I I alluded to this, I guess, on the la- the last time we talked about Pink Floyd, but Pink Floyd released this album. And then Roger Waters is like, right, we're done here. I don't want to work with you guys anymore. So you're not going to be playing Floyd anymore, right? Because I'm not playing with you. And they're like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, we, we're going to be Pink Floyd. Like, we want to do gigs and like, we, we like, the rest of us like playing with each other. Uh, and Waters is like, I'm going to sue you if you use the name Pink Floyd. Because if I'm not in it, it's not Pink Floyd. And just that whole fiasco that like... In, he insanity. didn't win, right? He lost, right? He didn't win. No, God, no. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's a fucking asshole. Uh, unequivocally, <laughs> Jesus Christ, that is that's such a move. Yeah, when does that happen? Like a hugely successful band like that, where the the previous album before he leaves is like fully manned by him, and then he's like, "Right, I'm out of here. You can't do the same thing without me there. I can do it." Like, yeah, total hypocrite. Yeah, that's crazy. And I did hear like. Th- David Gilmore was thought that this record was really subpar. Like I remember reading that, that he felt that the songs were like not good enough well, to be on the record. Making it must have been a fucking nightmare for him. Uh, I've seen different things. It's the main thing. He's like, these were outtakes from the wall. 
that mm-hmm. we decided then weren't good enough, and now that's going to be like our next move as a band. Like, dude. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and but he also said like it's not how I would want a Pink Floyd album to go, but I think it went well. But then again, you know, he's trying to encourage album sales, so who knows? I don't think you could have any kind of objective view on it or be able to even hear it if you had the experience of working with Roger Waters to make it. Like how that'd be so uncomfortable. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, and then he's just all over it, too. So it's not like you can hear... I'd be like listening to a recording of your parents getting divorced. Like, why would you ever yeah. want to subject yourself to that? Yeah. Uh, so we don't we don't have time at this point, but the true Roger Waters psyche in a nutshell, this is everything the man stands for. That song is when the Tigers broke free. Uh, and that is just him singing about the specifics of his father dying when he was five months old. Yeah. When Waters is five months old, his, his father died... Uh, in World War II, uh, mm. and he just sings about the circumstances of that and how that's made him bitter. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, and that it's like, at that point, I think even Nate would have trouble denying that one, but he listens to this show. I'd like to see him fucking try. You hear me, <laughs> Saffron? Come back next time. Talk about how you don't like, what is it? The Tigers broke free? When the Tigers broke free. Okay. Come at me, Saffron. That's all I got to say. I would imagine he doesn't like it, but... You could see. Yeah. Let's let's see what he's got up his sleeve next time. <laughs> what did we learn today? I don't I'm not sure I learned a whole lot other than I guess I don't hate that record. It's just it's fine. If Roger Waters himself was ever gonna give you anything you could go for, it, it would be the final cut. I, I still think over time, as you get tired of listening to your Adam Hart mother and, and whatever else, if you when you get desperate enough to hear the the embers of the the Pink Floyd sound, that collaboration mm. that those guys had, the final cut will be there for you. And I think it'll reveal more of itself over time. Mm. And you said you wanted to record uh, a banter record, but it's just you outtakes during your recording process. Do you think that would sound good? I mean, it's just me talking to myself. Yeah, you're just like, oh, like, oh I got to do that one again. Oh, shit. I should do that one shit. again. Shit, I fucked shit. that one up. Or, oh, I like that take. That was good. Oh, well, that's a good take. I like that take. Yeah, that, that's me in the studio all day long. Yeah, 45 minutes of that. Muttering to myself. Yeah. Well, I learned uh, about that <laughs> that Elvis quote-unquote album, and uh, yep. I learned about 45 minutes of Paul Stanley. Oh, it's so good. People and listen to I that. I think I'm the, all the better for it. Dig into that. And uh, if you like this episode of Losing My Opinion, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a future episode. You can leave us a rating or a review on your platform of choice. We love to hear from you. Always give us any feedback you got. Uh, come to our houses. Knock on our doors. Mm. <laughs> uh, you can follow Losing My Opinion on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. Mm. And I said that the final cut ages the best out of any Pink Floyd album, and I could be wrong now. But I don't think so! It's supposed to be Roger Waters? It just kind of sounds like Randy Newman again. Well, Randy Newman uh, does backing vocals on on some of the final cut tracks. I forgot to mention that part. Are you fucking with me? Yes. Oh, okay, I was going to say, this seems like something he would not want to be involved with. <laughs> oh, I'll say so long, suckers, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. All right! This is for all the little girls out there. We got some girls out there tonight. I said we got some girls out there tonight. 
All right, then, this is for all you Stratos!